It's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gomez. Uh, I am your your short and, and balding. Uh, <laughs> doing my best over here to, uh, you know, bring and inspire virtuous leadership. Uh, today we have Rebecca Holtdorf. Did I pronounce that right? Holtdorf? You did. You did. I'm very impressed. <laughs> no worries. No worries. You know, I'm half... I don't, we never talked about like your genealogy, but uh, I'm half German. And so maybe that's why I'm able to, you know, get in the Hofdorf, you know, <laughs> but uh, it is, it is. Yes, I am. I'm German. Um, both my husband and I were both um, got German in us. So in fact, there's a city in Germany and we say that we're going to go there one day <laughs> oh. to visit um, Hofdorf, Germany. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so that is excellent. And uh, that's, yeah. So is there any like ties to that area or like, do you know? Anything? Not that we've been able to, to find out. Yeah. Not that we've been able to find out. We've done some research and, and talked to his dad and, and we don't know of any specific ties to any family there, but we like to think that we are, maybe we'll go there and, and we'll see, meet some people in our family that we didn't know existed, but <laughs> That's fun. So Rebecca, I mean, uh, one of the things that I, I really admire and love about you is that you're always so joyful. Every time that I've interacted with you, you're always doing everything with a smile. And um, yeah, so I'm just really excited to be able to connect today and to dive a little bit deeper into your background and inspire some virtuous leadership. So our, uh, you know, usually the first question is, uh, who are you? Can you give us a little backdrop of of where you hang your shingle in the world? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that compliment. I try to smile. Um, you never know who's falling in love with your smile or just needs that smile to lift them up in a really tough day. So I, I make a conscious effort even when I'm on the phone and they can't see me to smile. So thank you so much for that compliment. But I am a director of human resources here at Harnett Health Systems. It's a county-run um, health system in North Carolina. It's very rural. And I actually um, oversee and lead the HR team as well as chaplain services and our volunteer services. I also volunteer regularly within the health system. I'm on a parent advisory board as well as a um, Vermont Oxford Network Board with Wake Med for the NICU. Um, I'm also a mother, I'm a wife, um, and founder of the Cassie's Foundation as well. So um, I wear a lot of hats, but most of them deal with trying to just pass on the love in this world that sometimes is is dark and scary. Hmm. Dang, that's uh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, well, tell us a little bit more about Cassie's Foundation. Absolutely. So that was one of the the journeys in my leadership and in my career that has really got me to where I feel like I've kind of found a passion. So um, my first child um, with my husband, her name was Cassie Jordan Holtdorf, and she was um, unfortunately passed away 
when we had a delivery accident. So she was full, full term, had no idea that anything was going wrong during the delivery. And unfortunately they did an emergency C-section and they weren't able to save her. Aww. And through that, um, while it has been the toughest and when I think of fear and obstacles and everything that I faced in my life, that was one of the turning points where I decided I wanted to truly make lemonade out of some really, really sour lemons. And there are a lot of people who struggle with everything from miscarriages to stillborns to SIDS and, and other child loss and, and baby loss. And, and I wanted to try and make a conscious effort to really create resources where they could find either articles or people to connect with whatever they needed in their journey. And it, and it led me down a path of being able to volunteer, being able to speak publicly. I was also very proud of being able to tell Cassie's story to the WakeMed staff. And they rolled out a teamwork program based on my feedback and some of the work that I did to really create a team environment where parents are part of that leadership team and their care for their baby. You know, babies can't speak. So somebody's got to speak up for them and, and be able to help and, and make sure that you're offering options that are what you need at the time and what your baby needs at the time. So I've worked very hard to, to get that going and to help as many people as I can, including being on a tiers committee, which is the state committee that helps financially fund what babies need as well. Whenever there's baby loss people don't necessarily think about the fact that there's not life insurance that covers that. So there are lots of babies that maybe don't have headstones, babies that don't even have a burial site at all. Um, so I work with those families to try to make sure that they get to celebrate their baby just like everybody else does, regardless of their financial status. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's incredible. And hitting close to home too. Um, I think I've shared with you that, Hannah is now nine weeks pregnant, and uh, we're we're expecting uh, a baby October twenty first, and uh, you know just uh, this is the the first uh, child that we we have together, um, and uh, but you know we I I have um, two children from a prior marriage, but uh, just um, in in and and it's interesting especially like. It's a little bit different this time around because we are older, but then also like, you know, I did a lot of healing work from, I don't even know if I would call the first marriage a marriage. It was really just kind of like, um, you know, uh, I mean, while we were technically secularly married, I don't think that we were free to be able to give our hearts to one another. Um, but in this particular marriage, like, you know, Hannah and I are very like in a, a much more mature and healthy place of like supporting with one another. And so, and I also think that I've had like an added dose of empathy to like recognize like, you know, in this first trimester that she's in, I mean, she's really suffering. And so just like going through kind of like the whole, uh, you know, just like as you're stating that in life, you know, there are the, the sufferings and the joys, you know, the, there's the peaks and the valleys of life. And so being able to just be present in those and like, and I can only imagine what it must be like to, you know, we're only nine weeks and like, you know, the joy is bubbling up of like, you know, bringing new life into our home, but to go a whole nine months and then in essence, like near at when you're right about to cross the finish line and then to lose, you know, a baby, it's just gotta be, 
just probably the one of the hardest sufferings that you could possibly experience in this life. So so my heart goes out to you for for, for you and your husband for that that pain and loss that you guys went through. But then also I just wanted to just really raise you up and, and thank you for the work that you're doing to be able to help other people and you know make sense of that suffering by being able to turn your cross into the platform that you're able to, you know, bring love like loving kindness into the world too, Rebecca. Thank you so much. You are so kind. I, I'm very blessed. I, I tell people all the time, I couldn't have said it when I lost Cassie, but I'm so thankful that God chose me to be her, her mom. I've learned more from her in her short life than some people that I've known for years. So she, her relationship and me being able to have her as a mom has helped me. And even with my rainbow baby. So rainbow babies are babies that come after that storm and, and, I have Jordan and he's nine years old. He's actually named after her and it's just such a blessing. So thank you so much. If I can help anybody, then it was, it was worth it. It was worth the journey and the, and the pain. So, so, um, so well, thank you for diving into that. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what is Harnet Health doing presently to provide quality services to your community? I know you mentioned that you guys are in a rural part of North Carolina, and uh, you know we've had a, a lot of different people that maybe are in and in, in urban parts of the country, and then also like uh, you know you know really serving kind of like those you know some of those like really uh, brand name health systems. And uh, yeah, just want to you know, and I think that it's you know I, I, there's challenges in healthcare no matter which way you go i mean everyone has oh, yeah <laughs> but um yeah so just would really love to hear kind of like you know coming from the the community minded like healthcare system and and some of the challenges that you guys are going through presently to bring that quality care to the community absolutely right now certainly there is a major shortage of resources when you're talking about a community hospital we don't have a lot of nurses, you know, waiting in the wing who are able to pick up extra shifts necessarily. We don't have a lot of doctors that we can pick up and call and have come to us. So throughout the pandemic, we really have had to get very, very creative on what we are trying to do. And one of the things that I think we did very early on when there was a vaccine was we did vaccine clinics. And I was responsible on getting community members and volunteers because we needed our employees to be at work helping the patients that were sick and getting all of those to the community. We even tried to do it in rural areas. We tried to use churches. We used schools. We tried to get the vaccine to them. It's sometimes very difficult for someone when you're talking about a county. It might be an hour, two hour drive to get to the other side of the county through rural areas. It, it might be that they're out on the farmland. And, and so thinking of the challenges that they face when you think about this pandemic, they were, you know, working on top of each other. The farm couldn't stop. We still had to harvest that crop. We still had things that we had to do to keep our, our life going, to be able to fuel our life. And so getting with those community members and getting them that vaccine was amazing. We were able to give over 30,000 vaccines to our community over the course of 
three or four months and it was amazing and it was all free and and we made sure that we got it to even diverse populations this area is actually about 15 percent hispanic and so we faced that language barrier we got a couple translators we made sure that everybody regardless of their background had access to that vaccine and then we did even more within the hospital i wore a couple hats. I can't say I did a great job. The doctors were probably ready to have me gone, but I did in the emergency department serve as a department assistant a couple times answering phones and trying to help. There would be times that I would round and try and get community members blankets. There were times when I actually even prayed with some of the patients who were stressed and, and just very concerned, that fear that we all have. They had that fear and they didn't know what was coming. And so even simple acts like that, I was able to do, as well as other people who were not in the realm of being frontline workers would step up and do that as well. So just an amazing story of seeing people who are compassionate and have that passion for human life to be able to step up and do whatever their calling was that day, regardless of if that was something they enjoyed doing was an amazing thing to see. Hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, yeah, the, uh, I mean, I could also see, uh, you know, just what, what is very clear and apparent to me is that you just have that kind of servant's heart that's willing to jump in and do whatever is necessary to be able to push your organization forward. Um, and that's, that's excellent. Uh, you know, I know a lot of, I mean, I've been able to recently in, uh, be able to connect with different HR leaders across the country. And, you know, some of them like have the opportunity to have chaplain services under their belt of like what they do, but I don't think anyone has ever told me that like they've been able to actually like get into like that actual like you know line work of actually being able to 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 pray with patients when like really serious uh, tough times. So so um, that's excellent, and thank you for sharing that. Um, before we kind of dive further upon uh, you know things that you've done to bring blessing into the world, wanted to maybe uh, talk a little bit about you know just kind of like be able to. Uh, open your heart a little bit uh, to relate to others. I would imagine that maybe, you know, you haven't always been able to, you know, just walk into situations like you do today and, and be able to, you know, um, uh, have have that, uh, you know, fearless approach and fierceness to just do whatever's necessary. Can you talk about, you know, some of the, the vices that you've had to overcome in order to uh, be the leader that you are today? Absolutely. Fear has always been my number one hurdle. And it's interesting because as I would face challenges like Cassie and, and some of the other hardship that we face in marriage and family, whenever you, you face those in the time, you think there's no way you're going to get through it. Um, and you always do. So it, it always it surprises me how much fear can overcome me. Um, but fear was the things that would hold me back. And, and I remember even a time after Cassie had happened um, and in my career as an HR professional, thinking that I was going to let everybody down. You know, my biggest fear was, oh my gosh, it, I would have this worrier concern that whatever I did wasn't going to be enough, that I was always going to need to do more. And it took me a while. Um, and, and kudos to my husband. My husband has stuck by me through all of the ups and downs, and we've been able to grow together and develop together. And he, he's always been the listener, but when he says stuff, 
he, it, it's like, it's the light bulb that goes off. <laughs> and he, um, you know, shortly after had, had told me that it doesn't matter how much it is, that is enough for that moment. It will happen the way it's supposed to happen. So I, I started to really accept the fact that the words are going to come to me, whether it, it be from God, whether it be from Cassie, it doesn't always have to be perfect. Um, growing up, I was very, if I got like a B, I was that kid that would go home who would be crying, oh my gosh, I got a B. <laughs> so I had a little bit of that planning perfectionist part of me. And in part of overcoming that was understanding that people don't need perfect. They need what they need in that moment, but they don't need perfect. And it it's something from a leadership perspective, I've, I've really had to put on my listening ears uh, I love to talk, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> and I love to have conversations and meet people and have relationships. So I had to really sit back and learn to listen so that I can figure out what they need. And that's how I could overcome the fear, because I would be able to give them what they needed. And that isn't necessarily perfection. They would walk away with what they needed. They would feel better about themselves. They would grow and develop. And that was a journey. And, and there were times, I remember the first time in my HR career, I'll never forget this. I had been in administration for a while. And part of being in administration, we would help out other departments. The HR leader at the time came to me and started giving me these tasks. And one of the tasks he came to me, he said, you know, we have these big boxes, I'm talking massive <laughs> boxes of just paper in no order, just strung all over, and we need to get it into employee folders. And he's telling me about it. And I went and I look in this closet and I'm looking at all these boxes and I'm panicked. I'm thinking I'm going to lose my job. There's no way I'm going to be able to organize all this. What is he thinking? And all this fear just overwhelmed me. And I went home and I'm crying to my husband. Oh my gosh, the HR leader wants to fire me. Like, I can't believe he gave me this. And my husband just reassured me, it, you know, if he wanted to fire you, what have just fired you? Like, let's think logically. Let's start listening and thinking about what he really said. He needs your help. He wants you to help him with this project. Do the best you can. It'll work out. And that actually was what launched my HR career. I went in with a positive attitude, that smile on my face that you were talking about. And I tackled all of those boxes, made those employee folders, and learned so much. I, I listened to what he said. He had said, you know, take a look at the papers, make sure you're putting them in the right spot. He had, you know, printed out regulations for me. And that was my first taste of, wow, I enjoy this. I enjoy making sure that we are putting talented people in the right spot to be our future, in the right leadership roles to be our future. And that we're looking for those leaders who are going to be virtuous leaders, like we've talked about, be those servant leaders to take us to the next level, whether it be an organization, a community, um, a country, those people who are going to really elevate us. So um, yeah, I've, I've had struggles and tears and, and still today, I'll, as comfortable as I am talking to you right now, I was petrified this morning. I was thinking, okay, let me think of what, of what am I going to say? And, um, and then I get on and, and the words come to you. So I, I think that fear is something every leader faces, no matter how strong they are when they get up and speak. It, it's just a natural part of leadership you have to overcome. And you have to keep that confidence and make sure that whatever the tricks of the trade are that make you tick, you're able to overcome those so that you can really bring good to the world. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. 
One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, just even my routine this morning. I uh, uh, was able to like run before, uh, run, have breakfast, take a shower, and then like instantly into this conversation <laughs> where, you know, without like having to kind of like stress it and, and be kind of like, you know, seized in those moments of worry or fear. But like when we just, when we started this in 2020, I would like, I would have to like have prepped for like a long time to feel like to give me the like confidence and reassurance to to be be in a podcast episode like this and now it's funny like it's just kind of like one of those things where i'm sure that like if if the same situation arose where like you were handed a bunch of employee files you would probably be like oh whatever you know been there done that have done that already like just have that experience so there is something about just like walking through the fire of like growth opportunities that gives you that that amount of like confidence to be able to you know not allow those those fearful thoughts because I think you know they they will they you you have to in essence blaze new neural pathways and so so if that neural pathway within that particular task is always like worry oh my gosh it's so bad it's so bad then it's like a big highway but then when you go through it and you gain that experience you start to like you know start blazing those new trails of like this is something that's comfortable it's not fearful like it's not fearful and and so so that's awesome uh rebecca curious as to like i know you you kind of like brought up that when you were younger that that like getting a b was something that would you know would ruin your day um, can you think about, you know, in your life where maybe like, where do you think it stems from or, or where do you, yeah, where, where do you, can you think about where like, you know, fears first came into your life? Um, I think honestly, it has a lot to do with um, the struggles I had even growing up. Cassie was not the first loss that I had. And so um, there were a lot of times that I felt that fear was always around the corner. Um, My best friend died when I was in high school. He was hit by a car and he was, you know, the only boy that was allowed in my room. We went on like family vacations and, and did all this. It was more like a brother, Um, you know, rode to school together, all those kinds of things. And, and so, and I had lost grandparents. I had lost, um, I had friends, parents that had, you know, unfortunately gotten in car accidents and, and passed away. And so I think that it stemmed from the fact that there always seemed to be these losses around the corner. And um, I didn't want to, one, be a loss to somebody else. I didn't want them to have to feel like they were losing by having me on their team. And I didn't want to have to have anyone 
feel any kind of pain. And so to me, my parents, my mom was an educator. She was a school teacher. She had her master's. She worked so hard. My dad, he was a sports writer and, you know, in the community was seen as a public figure. He'd come and coach our teams. And I always wanted to make sure that nobody felt any kind of disappointment or pain from something that I did. So I always wanted to be enough for everybody at all the time um, because I had felt those losses and I'd felt those pains. And so that's, I think <laughs> with that, with only having a minor in psychology, I think that's where it first came from is, is having that loss and those feelings of pain that I just didn't want for other people to feel. Um, I wanted my parents to be proud of me and, and my parents, I will say, I think a lot of my virtuous leadership came from my parents. And, and I think about me volunteering. There was one time a coworker of mine, actually one of my past leaders, who had said, you know, well, I know that we care at the organization about volunteering. You always seem to have this passion for volunteering, but I'm sure that's just because you have to, right? Like you really don't want to. And I kind of looked at her and said, well, not really. I've always, even when I was younger, my parents instilled that importance in me to care about other people and to try and do extra. And so I, I do owe a lot to them on that leadership journey, even though I had that fear of letting them down, <laughs> they were a huge part of giving me that strength to go forward and be able to be the leader that I am today. Mm, well, uh, yeah, many thanks to your parents to right? <laughs> instill that in you at, at a young age. That's excellent. And, um, you know, I guess the other thing that I was just thinking about too was like, was there a moment? Because I'm just thinking about like, a, a, you know, people that are listening to this podcast today and thinking about like, huh, like, yeah, that's resonating with me of, you know, your, your experience is opening my eyes to, to the fear that I've, you know, been dealing with maybe in the season or in the last couple of seasons, etc. Was there ever a time at or a point where you felt like it broke off of you? Or is that something that you like is still kind of always the thing that's, you know, still that you're, you're working through today? Um, I think on some level, I do still work through it today. I do think that there was a point where I realized that fear is healthy. Um, you, everybody has to have fear. I do think that fear makes you stronger to an extent when you embrace it, as you said, when you kind of go through that, that highway and you pave your new road, that's important for you being able to face it and get through it. So there's a healthy amount of fear, but I think when I broke away from the unhealthy amount of fear, I think it really came from me wanting to be that selfless person and me having a time when I feared or I had worried about something. And in the end, I knew that somebody was able to benefit from it. So I really started focusing on the fact that, you know what, if I had let fear get the best of me, I wouldn't have been able to help this person. And so I, I tried to really think about what I could offer to the folks. And, and I didn't want for that fear to overcome me to where I didn't build that relationship or I didn't help that person because I was so fearful of what might, might come um, or who I, I might let down. So I think once I got to that point, and that would be my suggestion to anybody that, that has fear is to remember the after part and it, a healthy amount of fear is to have it, but is to not let you hold, be held back from that 
after part, whether it be professional growth, tools in your tool belt, like you mentioned, whether it be helping someone, whatever it is that's after, knowing that that is worth it to me is what helped me get over that, that fear, that unhealthy fear that, that we can have that can hold us back. Hmm. Yeah. And we, we had talked uh, before the show too, about, you know, what, what, you know, just like knowing that a lot of the conversations, both the vices that we've had to overcome in our lives, but also the virtues that we've been able to feel like have been naturally gifted in. And that's interesting of, you know, just you ultimately, you know, saying it or beating to the punch of like the selflessness that you've yeah. had throughout your life. And, and I think the other thing that of what you said that really resonated is like, you know, that also not only the, the neural pathways of like just gaining that experience, but what is your why? And, right. and if you, in you, for your particular instance was like the impact that you can make, be making for other people so that you can get out beside yourself and realize like, okay, the, you know, this is bigger than just myself and being able to like make that impact. And, you know, some people, Rebecca are maybe not as, you know, blessed or grace as you've been in your life to be able to have parents that were like, you know, helping you to like always want to be others focused. Uh, that's not so, like, uh, I mean, I feel like, yeah, even in my own upbringing, like my parents maybe had some opportunities, but it, you know, I think there was a lot of times where I was able to cultivate very much like, you know, selfishness, <laughs> like where I was just <laughs> totally focused yeah. on myself and maximizing what Chris could get out of life instead of being willing to die to self and, and look to help others and make an impact in that way. Um, so yeah, can you maybe speak a little bit more on selflessness and, and how, how you feel like that's been a part of your life? Absolutely. So, um, you know, at the time as a kid, <laughs> you're, you don't necessarily appreciate all that your, your parents try to instill when it comes to, to selflessness. Um, but you know, with my mom, I remember seeing her and going with her to volunteer regularly with the church and whether it would be a canned food drive or something as far as donating clothes, I always remember seeing my mom do that. And, you know, I, I don't know if my my parents would love me telling these two stories, but these two stories are the most distinct one with my mom, one with my dad, my mom, I will never forget. And I was so embarrassed at the time, but so thankful now, uh, I played softball and I have a little bit of a competitive streak in me as a sports person. And I come from a sports family and I had a third strike called on me looking and I didn't particularly agree with the umpire. And I remember turning around and throwing my bat on the ground and kind of making that face like, what? And I will never forget it. My mom, very politely in her, her school dress attire from coming from teaching class that day, came off the bleachers and walked out on the field. And she said, pick up your bat. And she told me to pick up my glove. And she made me sit on the rest of the bleachers with her and she said good teammates do not talk back to their umpire so you're going to sit here and you're going to watch the rest of the game and you're going to cheer on your team and you will not play until you understand how to you know handle things appropriately and be a good teammate now at the time I was embarrassed like completely humiliated oh my gosh my mom just went out of the field um however I never did it again. I did understand the importance. My team did end up, end up losing. I mean, it was just rough ball, but, 
you know, they ended up losing the game. And here I am thinking I could have been out there helping them. And instead I was having to learn the lesson about you need to be more of a team player. You need to give your all for your team. And sometimes that means you get a bad call, but you move on um, or you don't get the decision you want or the outcome. You know, when you think on the business level, you might not get the outcome you want. But the goal is for your team to be the best that they can be. So you have to pick up and, and go through the adversity and get to the other side. So um, that was one with my mom. And my that, dad. You were 32 during that time? No, I at the time I was like eight or nine and I'm telling you, man, I was so mad. Like I remember going home. I was so mad. Oh, I'm home. sure. I'm sure. I can only imagine. Now I'm like, you were like very competitive and like, you know, <laughs> yes, I was not happy. Um, my dad instilled it too. And, and, um, you know, my, my parents, they worked very hard for their money. Um, uh, and, and they didn't have a lot of extra money to kind of rub together or anything. And again, with softball, that was really a lot of my leadership skills and even teamwork skills came from me and, and having that commitment that my parents instilled to, to softball. And um, I was getting ready for tryouts for middle school. And my parents were a live paycheck to paycheck. They worked very hard, but that's how they lived. They had two kids and, you know, they were just trying to kind of make ends meet. And I, I had gone and I had a, a old used softball bat and it was hard because it wasn't the big barrels like for fast pitch. And, and so anyway, my dad had been taking me to the batting cage and spending all this time working on my hitting and, and I wanted this bat and, and I knew he couldn't afford it. And, you know, he said he couldn't get it. And um, he didn't tell me at the time, but he actually went and pawned his TV um, the TV that he watched the sports and showed up at the tryouts that day um, with the bat that I wanted. And I, I did make the team. I'm very happy to hear, you know, for everybody to hear that I made the team. Um, but the most important thing was he did it and we got the TV back, you know, after he got paid that week. But it was the fact that for him and and, and it, as being a sports writer, he needed to keep up with things that were going on um, in the world. And, and he would want to watch his TV at night and, and everything. But he gave that up because he, he wanted me to have that confidence and that lift that I needed. So both of them it, throughout my life in different ways taught me about that. And ever since then, it, it's just something that I've always I enjoy to give more than to receive. You know, people ask what to give me. and I'm like, your company, come you know, let's have fellowship. Let's, let's do things together. I mean, I, that's, that's so important to me. So I've, I've always loved to give more than receive. I'm not good at receiving gifts. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. Dang. That, that is uh, rather intense. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, I mean, to just, I mean, also to think about did, and so did you know at the time, I, I don't know, maybe I missed it, but did you know at the time that your dad and did I, in order to be able to have the money for that? I did not know. He had told um, us that the TV had broken um, and that he had to take it in for some repairs and he'd have it back in a, in a couple days. Um, so, which to me is another part of that trait of being selflessness is that it's not only about giving of yourself, but it's also, you're not standing up to wave that flag and take that credit either. Um, and so, you know, part of it is you're the one who's selflessly giving up and, and pushing everybody from behind to be the best. 
Um, I don't like to say hit by the bus, but if I, if I win the lottery tomorrow and decide I'm going to go off and live in the Caymans and, and not be a part of the professional world, I want to make sure my team is going to be able to stand up and have that same virtuous leadership and have that same skill set of being selfless that I have. And so I always try to think about how my dad at the time, he wasn't, you know, saying like I did this courageous act or this selfless act of taking the TV and pawning it to get the bat. He, he just kept things going and just made sure I had what I needed. And so I think that's a, an important part of that trait. Yeah. And I think, you know, relating it on a global scale for people listening, it's like, look at, look at the ways that like when you endow seeds of greatness in others by being able to take acts of selfless acts and how that can manifest not only like, you know, sometimes we do just like little acts of kindness like that can end up sparking a life of, of selflessness and someone who's like really passionate about wanting to get outside of themselves and help others. And I mean, like in the time, and I'm sure like, you know, maybe your mom being your mom's situation, being more intentional of like, look, I want to, this is a teachable moment right now. Mm -hmm. um, but your dad just like, look, I want to be able to provide for my daughter. Um, and, and yeah, just to like actually be sacrificing his own career in that way in order to do that. That's such a, a beautiful story. But again, it's like, you know, just reminds me to think like, you know, maybe they, both of them may not have actually thought of like how big of an impact that would make in your life. And I think that also just like helps me to think about, you know, not only in my both professional career, but with, within my own kids of like those teachable moments and or, you know, ways of like how our selflessness and just being able to like be willing to die to self, do acts of kindness can really like transform other people's lives to a greater level that we may not really even be recognizing in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, kudos to my parents. Hopefully they'll get to watch this and, and they'll <laughs> feel, but to your point, I don't know that they knew at the time um, how big of an impact, you know, my mom will even say she was just a teacher. Well, there's a lot of credit to be given to teachers. They're teaching our future. They're teaching our world. Um, and sometimes they don't even realize that, that impact of, of what they're having. So you're exactly right. It could definitely be like that. And I, you know, hopefully I always remind my parents when I do things like that for my son, to your point, like I think about these teachable moments a little bit more intentionally with my son of how I can instill these behaviors in him. Uh, we had a, we have a big volunteer. I was actually um, a part of starting it when I was at um, one of my careers, but we had a, an ACC party. It was like an annual um, can drive and we would collect cans and my son would be only two, three, four years old during these years that we would do it in March. Um, and that didn't stop me from taking him with me to get cans for that canned food drive and making sure that he understood the importance of giving to other people and, and why it feels so good. So, um, you know, and, and to the point that it, it was funny, actually, I don't know if I should admit this, but I love vegetables. I know that people don't, it's usually like fruit, right? <laughs> I love vegetables. And so um, actually we went to the grocery store one day and Jordan um, pulled my husband aside and said he wanted to get something for me and he wanted to use his own money. And so they checked out in a separate thing and didn't let me see it. And when he got home, he had a can of black eyed peas <laughs> because he said, I love black eyed peas. And so he wanted to spend his money that he'd earned that week on some, some can of black eyed 
recipes for, for mommy. Um, and so, you know, it's just little things like that where we, we don't realize it, but I hope in my parents seeing it as grandparents that they can see that those, those things were very impactful and have certainly shaped how I am as a leader and how I hope that I raise my son to be a leader so that it can be passed forward and, and there can be other leaders in the world in the future that can make things better. So, uh, Rebecca, what's the biggest challenge in your life presently? And would love to be able to go from that to um, launch off into prayer, uh, both praying for you for that. And then also, as I conclude, to if you wouldn't mind being able to do an impartation for our guests listening today, for just being able to be delivered from any fears that they're struggling with, and then also an impartation of selflessness as well. Absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, probably the biggest challenge is what every healthcare is, is facing now. And, and I would certainly ask that community and, and people would have an understanding for healthcare. A, a small community hospital doesn't have those financial resources right now and doesn't have a lot of labor when it comes to our nurse shortage and some of the other folks that have just reached their, their, they're top. They can't take anymore. You know, they've gotten to the top of what they can mentally and physically handle with a two long, two year long pandemic. So certainly want to, you know, just work through those challenges and do what I can to get as many health professionals to our community so we can continue to help them to grow and, and flourish in the community that we're in in North Carolina. So um, on that note, yeah, let, let's, let's pray and let's close this up. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this fellowship, this time to speak. I really want to pray that I was able to give words and, and strength and encouragement and that you were able to speak through me to add extra strength so that all of our viewers, anyone who might watch this, will be able to overcome their fears, really be able to take their leadership to the next level and being a virtuous leader and overcome those fears so that they can be truly selfless and take that selflessness so that they can continue to grow um, a world that is helping others and is healing. This can be a dark time right now in the world. And, and I just hope that through this podcast that you have been able to bless us with, that you will be able to continue to get your word out as well as the strength to overcome the fear and just help to get the fear that comes from the devil out of everyone so that we can potentially potentially grow and and just help the world um heal babies heal um kids heal people in their personal life and their professional life so i thank you for this time and i ask that you will continue to let this word grow and continue the mission and i thank everyone who has listened and certainly chris for this time for fellowship in jesus name amen Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, as you were praying, I was kind of getting two things. The The first is, you know, as Jesus came back, uh, resurrected from the dead and showed up with his apostles, the first thing that he breathed, he did was breathe on them and said, my peace I give to you. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just pray, uh, Lord, that that you would breathe your peace onto us. Lord, we've been through a very tumultuous last couple of years with the pandemic and now uh, and the social political unrest, and then now the war on Ukraine. It just seems like, like the the news has just constantly been bad news, and and just perpetuating that fear. And so, Lord, I just pray that anyone listening to this podcast episode right now, Lord, that that they would be endowed with your peace, and that it would resonate 
in into their hearts and that uh you know perfect love casts out fear and that people that are listening to this episode would experience your love for the first time and realize how truly loved we are as your beloved children um and then and then the other image uh that uh that i was getting that last one was a word this is more so an image in the beginning of my my wife is a uh uh, a musician and uh, has done a lot of uh, work with Shalom Media. And uh, during early, the early on in the pandemic, they asked her to write a song. And uh, the song that she wrote was titled Endless Supply. Uh, I ended up playing guitar on it, but, but ultimately it's Endless Supply and then like in quotes of toilet paper. Uh, they, they cut off the <laughs> toilet paper. But I think <laughs> the, the, the point, like what I was just like, the whole purpose of the song is that like God has endless amounts of supplies for us and covers all of our needs. And so, yeah, so Father, I just pray that, that you would open up the treasury of heaven, Lord, and that you would just pour all the resources that Harnet Health uh, needs in order to be able to provide for their community, Lord. That in this season, Lord, that there would be like just a, a massive grant that their hospital is getting to be able to cover all of their operational challenges, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for being able to bless them in this way and uh, to bring just the the heavenly blessings upon heart and health to be able to you know that their motivation lord and all of our motivation should be for love but that lord that you would that that through your loving kindness that you would oh, you would provide this for them and that lord that that people would come and know and experience your love by this word and and Rebecca being able to point to like oh remember that time that connected with uh, and Chris gave me that spiritual intelligence they would point back to this for this massive grant that's coming to their name and you know similar to the way that Rebecca prayed Lord I just pray this through the mighty name and holy name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ Amen 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 Let's go uh, I love it. <laughs> Yes. So thank you for watching us on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership. Much love to you, my sister in Christ, Rebecca. And uh, yeah, Absolutely. we look forward to continuing the dialogue with you as well. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.